live in the book of Acts. We will be in Acts chapter 3. I won't have time to do all of the chapter, uh, but I'm going to be doing the first 19 verses. But before we go into reading the scripture, let's just humble ourselves before the Lord and pray. Ask him to come in a powerful way. Thanks again, Don, for your testimony. That was a real blessing. I appreciate that. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, we simply come into your presence recognizing our deep need for you. That uh, we, in and of ourselves, are completely powerless. Our lives are unmanageable. And yet we turn our hearts to you, and when we turn our hearts to you in our desperation and our need, we see, Jesus, you in all your glory. That you have died for us, that we are renewed in you, that we are new creations in Christ. Uh, the old man is dead, the new man has come. And so we just, I ask for this man standing before everyone that, Lord, I just feel very humble today, just very weak. Um, I ask that you would give me your strength. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, my strength and my fortress. And then I, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, that uh, every time your word is preached, you want to say something to your people. And so you obviously, that means you want to say something to each person here today. I don't know what that is. I know what I've prepared but I'm just asking that your spirit would take over in my words, in my heart, in all of our hearts. We give you this time. It's for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always uh, great to be with you. It's always a great privilege to be able to preach the word of God. I'm really excited about the book of Acts. As um, and just another opportunity to read the book of Acts and all the exciting things that God is doing in his church, both in the past when he created the church, but even now looking upon you and wondering, curious about what God is doing in your life right now. Um, as a way of intro, let me just tell you one of the things that I say to my kids all the time. And even though they're adults now, I still say it to them. Life does not work without Jesus. I'm not sure they always believe me. Um, they're, they're more likely to believe you at this point than me. And that's okay. That's, that's just the way parent-father-son relationships work. But I love my children, and I want them all to see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. I long for that for you. I long for that for your children. Because the blessings of the covenant come upon us, but it comes to our children. And children and generations and generations will know the God who loves them. Life does not work without Jesus Christ. You may try to remove him from the equation. And we know a lot of people who do not claim the name of Jesus Christ, and their, their lives seem pretty good. But ultimately, you remove Jesus from the equation, and life doesn't work. I think we're going to see that in our scripture today. Peter's going to call attention to that. So hear the word of God, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze 
at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The word of the Lord. So, on this day, after Pentecost, Peter has already preached a great sermon. Thousands of people come to Christ, and... There, the church is beginning to uh, share great fellowship together, sharing everything, having everything in common. And then on this particular day, Peter and John decide to go up to the temple for prayer. At the gate leading up to the temple area, in Acts, this gate is called the Beautiful Gate. They encountered this lame man, lame from birth, who was put there each day, I'm assuming by his friends, to ask for alms. That is, gifts given by the people of God for those who are in need. It would be very similar, like us going down Roosevelt Boulevard. We see people in need on Roosevelt Boulevard all the time. And it would be like us giving them gifts of money or food or anything else because of their need. So the question is, why are they on Roosevelt Boulevard? It's obvious, right? That's where all the traffic is. That's where all the people are. It is the same for the beautiful gate leading up to the temple. That's where all people, all the traffic was going. And he was there to collect alms. Peter direct, the scripture says that Peter directed his gaze at at this man and he said, look at us. Now, that Greek word, atenizo, it means to stare at. It means to look at intently. And if you've been going to the person of Jesus' Sunday school class, you know the importance it is 
of seeing a person. Not looking beyond them, but actually seeing them. Jesus is the, the, the perfect example of this. You will always see, if you read the scriptures, the gospels, that Jesus took time to look at particular people. And I'm only assuming that Peter and John learned this from Jesus. And so they said, they, they put their eyes upon this man who was lame, and then they said to the man, look at us. Now, the man looked at him. He's getting excited because what does he think? He thinks he's going to get some money. Um, Peter has something else in mind. But again, let's just pause for a second. Do you see people? Do you see them in your midst? How do you feel about those men and women on Roosevelt Boulevard? You're just driving by them. It's very easy to do. I do it a lot. Many of us yesterday were at a, a conference down at 10th Presbyterian Church. It was done by Diane Lamberg. It was about abuse in the church. Very powerful conference, one of the best I've ever attended. Definitely the most convicting I've ever, uh, uh, conference I've ever uh, been to, attended. And so we, we grabbed our box lunches at lunchtime. We headed out, a bunch of us, and we, we just walked down a couple blocks to Rittenhouse Square. And we sat on the benches. The women sat on the, the benches. My wife, Gwen Doggett, Sue Sponsler, Audrey De Rivera, and Tom De Rivera, and I sat on another bench. And immediately this man came walking up. We knew instantaneously that he was homeless. And he was, zero, he was looking at us. Um, the question was, were we fixing our gaze upon him? But he was looking at us. I knew exactly what was going to happen. Can you spare some money? And as most of the time, I don't think all the time, I, I'm willing to give some money. I, I just didn't have the money that, to give him at the time. I said, you know, I don't have any money. I called Amy, she was across the way, and I just said, Amy, do you have any money? And Amy's there around the first time. I was like, I got it, and gave him some money. And then it occurred to me, it dawned on me, the lessons I've been learning in the person of Jesus, that Jesus took time to look. Convicted in my heart, I just simply looked at this man. What's your name? Names are important, are they not? The lame man at the temple, he had a name. This gentleman in uh, uh, Rittenhouse Square said, my name is William. And then we just, he said, I'm homeless. Um, the thing that he was telling us is there's no shelters when it gets warm. That, that was news to me. I didn't know that. And we simply had a nice conversation with him, a real live person with a real life story. It would have just been so easy to give him some dollars and let him go on his way without engaging him at all. And that's what I would have done. I'll confess it. I would have done it. I've done that a lot. Except that the Holy Spirit came into my heart and into Tom's heart and said, this is a man standing in front of you. And I love this man. I would imagine similar thoughts are going through the minds of Peter and John. But they say, we have no gold. We have no silver. We do not have what you are looking for. But we have something better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. What could be better news for this man? What a better gift for this man. And he does. He gets up and he walks. He's strengthened in his, his feet, his legs. He is healed. 
what does he start to do? He starts leaping for joy and praising God. Now that is a great picture, is it not? He starts leaping for joy. I would do the same. And the people see it and they are filled with wonder and amazement. It reminds me of Isaiah 35, chapter 6, which says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. It is a picture of the messianic age. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ has come to do by his death and resurrection on the death on the cross, his resurrection. He brings life. He brings healing. He brings justice. It is the messianic age. And now Peter and John, as the apostles, are the ones meant to take that message to the people. So let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you leapt like a deer, filled with joy at what Jesus Christ has done for you? It's just not something we do a lot, right? <laughs> when is the last time that you leapt for joy? I was, I was helping with nature camp this week. There was a lot of leaping going on. There was a lot of joy. It was our kids. And when they were singing, they were leaping for joy. God filled me up and made me new. That was their song. They had no problem doing it. Thus, God, Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to these. That is our example. This man is our example of what happens in the Messianic age. Now, we have all, he didn't even know all the things that were going on. Even the apostles didn't know everything that was going on. But we do. We had a fuller picture than any of them. We, we should not be outdone by this man. He's our example. When is the last time that you leapt for joy at what Jesus Christ has done for you? I bet I can guess the last time many of us leapt for joy when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I leapt for joy. I, I was hugging everybody in the room. We were leaping for joy. Were we not? Yes, I see the head shaking because they were there with me. We were so excited. Rightly so. That was an exciting Super Bowl. Why in the world do we leap at joy for, for a football game? Why in the world do we leap at joy at rock concerts? I get it. They're fun. But not for Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. I was going down, and um, you know what I hear about Presbyterians a lot? You know what they call us a lot? Do you know? The frozen chosen. Now, why is that? I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. Well, maybe it's fair. I mean, <laughs> there's some criticism in that that we need to hear. We as Presbyterians, should be leaping for joy. It's not left to the Charismatics. I love the Charismatics. They're great. We need to leap for joy, too. The God of the universe has come into our midst and has set us free. He has healed us of our sin and destruction. Everything that could be done to us was done to us by our enemy, but our enemy did not win. He did not win. That causes us to leap for joy. When I hear the testimony of our brother Don, who was in bondage, he was powerless over his sin, his life has become unmanageable, and God said, stop. Repent and believe in what I've done for you, Don. 
And he did. And he leaps for joy. I've seen him leap for joy when he's teaching songs to the kids. I've seen him shake his body like this. It's a sight to behold. We are not the frozen chosen. I object to that. I object to that, Your Honor. We are not the frozen chosen. I know you guys do well. You're not. So this man is healed. And the people are utterly astounded by the miracle. And they put their attention on Peter and John. But they must have did it in an inappropriate way because he calls their attention to it. And he says, why do you stare at us? Now that's really interesting because that's the same Greek word. John, Peter says to the man, look at us. And he, ga- and he gazed at him. He looked intently at him. But with the people, it's different for some reason. He calls it out. You see, when this man who was lame, when, when John said to him, look at us, what he's really saying is, look at Jesus in us. He's not saying, look at us. He's saying, look at Jesus in us, the only power to heal you. Now, apparently, these people who were in wonder and awe were not looking at Peter quite the same way. They were not looking at Jesus. They were not looking at the Jesus in him. They're doing what we often do. Something powerful happens, and we turn our attention not on the Jesus, but on men. It's just very common. And then what happens is, if you, I've noticed this in my heart a lot of times, we begin to name drop. For me, if you're in my presence for any long, and I'm, if I'm counseling you or anything, I'm going to name drop. I know I do it all the time. You're going to hear the words, Dave McCarty, he's my mentor. And I, I drop his name all the time. And it occurred to me, I'm thinking to myself in this sermon, like, why am I dropping Dave McCarty's name all the time? I'm still searching that one out, but I think it's along these lines. So what are the names that we drop? There's all kinds of them. I'll give you a few. Tim Keller, John Piper, Francis Chan, Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, R.C. Sproul. Uh, we listen to his sermons. Before he passed away, even after he passed away, Tony Evans. I'll tell you who it is lately for me, Pastor Eric Mason. I've been listening to his sermons, really blessed by them. And I want it to be noted that I am blessed by all of these people. God uses them in wonderful ways. I listen to a lot of Tim Keller's sermons. Um, So it's not that they're not a blessing, and it's not that God isn't using them. But sometimes we look to them in an inappropriate way. Sometimes we look to them like the crowd was looking at Peter and John instead of looking to Jesus in them. We do this. I know we do it. I know you do it. As my confession, I do it all the time. We have this in our culture, too. Here's a list of the top ten most influential people in the entertainment industry. These names get dropped all all the time. Number one, the queen bee herself. Beyonce. Number two, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Number three, Drake. Number four, Jennifer Lawrence. Number five, Chris Pratt. Number six, Adele. Number seven, Justin Bieber. Number eight, Taylor Swift. Number nine, Kanye West. Shout out to Seth. Number 10, Ryan Reynolds. According to the culture, according to the world, these are the most influential names to drop right now. 
If your hope is in a man or a woman, if your hope is in any of these preachers, if your hope is any of these cultural icons, I am here to tell you, you had the wrong hope. They're great. I listen to their music and I hear their sermons, but they cannot compare to Jesus Christ. They cannot compare to the Jesus Christ that wants to bless us. And Peter knows it. And it's so refreshing to hear Peter turn their attention away from himself and place it where it belongs, on Jesus and on his power. He says, Jesus made this man walk. He is the one who healed him. You know, Peter is no joke in this sermon. Uh, He is not very nice to them. He goes right for the juggler. He says, but right now you're fascinated by John and me because we healed this man. You should be fascinated with Jesus. You should be fascinated with his power. But instead, you're not astonished with him at all. You are not even astonished by his death. And then he goes right for the heart. You put him to death. You, had a chance, you even had a chance to release him when he was before Pilate. And what did you do? You asked for a murderer for Barabbas instead. How, what does that reveal about the human heart? You killed the author of life. I'm not sure I could preach that kind of sermon. I'm not sure what you guys would do if I preached that kind of sermon. I'm not sure what I would do either. You know, Peter is just not messing around with this sermon. He basically calls them ignorant. He just comes right, you're you're ignorant. You're acting in ignorance. He's wilding at this point. He has gone savage. I'm not, how would you, how would you feel if right now I just said you're ignorant? I'm not sure that is the great, pre- greatest preaching strategy in the world. I'm not here to tell you that, but what happens if I did? I think you would be a little bit upset with me. But that's exactly what God placed on Peter's heart. Peter, at this, at this point, was completely sold out for Jesus Christ and his purposes. And then he appeals to the prophets. He's appealing to their knowledge of Scripture. What he's saying is, do not be ignorant. Know your scripture. Know the word of God. You have a, he's, telling, he's talking to Israelites. He's talking to the Jews. He's saying, you have a long history, and you have a great scripture. You need to know it. But right now you have acted in ignorance, and you put Jesus Christ to death. It reminds me of a lot of what Luke, who wrote, wrote the book of Acts, said in his own gospel In chapter 24, verses 45 through 47, he said, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Then he opened their minds, meaning Jesus. And then he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. All of scripture points to the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then his name will be proclaimed in all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's what Peter's doing. It starts in Jerusalem and Peter is the one to do it. Christ is the fulfillment of all scripture. All scripture points to Christ. Do not be ignorant of any of this. Let us remember our scripture. And then he does, I think, a pretty amazing thing. He recalls our history. He recalls their history. 
he appeals to them and to their history as Jews. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's appealing to their story as Jews. He will later talk about Moses. He's asking him, remember your history as the people of God. All of it points to Jesus Christ, who you killed. Remember it and repent. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I just name-dropped, didn't I? That great Welsh Protestant preacher has this quote. There, there is something essentially wrong with a man who can listen to a truly evangelistic sermon without coming under conviction, without feeling something of his own unworthiness, and rejoicing when he hears the gospel remedy presented. There's something wrong if you hear a great sermon, blessed by the Holy Spirit, and you're not immediately convicted of your sin, and you feel unworthy in the presence of God. But then he shows you the and you rejoice at the remedy that was given through the gospel. That is the kind of sermon that Peter is preaching to these men and women. Life, he's saying to them, life does not work without Jesus Christ. You can look to me, you can look to John, but that's not where the power is. Only Jesus Christ can make life work. Only he can heal, only he can save us from our sins, only he can make us whole where we are broken. But first, we have to repent. We have to come under the conviction of sin first. Martin Lloyd-Jones also, there's another quote, I'm going to say it, and I think it's going to shock you, and then I'm going to come behind it and share some things. I think we're going to be important to understand the quote. He said, the cross condemns us before it sets us free. Now you need to know, once you become a, a Christian, there is no condemnation for the, us who believe in Jesus Christ. We're talking about people who, do know not, who don't know Jesus Christ, the people that Peter was talking to. He is trying to, he is working by the Holy Spirit to bring them under the conviction of sin. It really is the Holy Spirit bringing them under the conviction of their sin. But once they accept Christ, which they do, they are now not under any condemnation. So I want to talk to the tenderhearted in our midst, just for a moment. It's important to remember Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you accepted Christ, condemnation is gone. And that needs to be said to your soul over and over and over. Martin Lloyd-Jones was certainly not saying that God is right here trying to condemn you if you belong to Christ. He would probably say he's still trying to convict you of your sin, absolutely. There's just no condemnation. It's gone. What a thing to leap for joy about, right? But some of us condemn our souls so much. I know you. I've talked to you. 
I am one of you. The history of this man is I condemned my soul for a very long time, even after I knew Jesus Christ, until God chose to touch that part of my heart and set me free. And it, it, it caused me to be reminded of 2 Corinthians 7, chapter 7, 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And I know a lot of you, there's a lot of this worldly grief because you're a tender heart. You're easily convicted by your sin. God has set you free. No condemnation. So don't, if, if there's an accusation upon your heart, and a conviction upon your heart, but no one, including your own heart, is pointing you to the cross that is the enemy. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to just speak tender words to your soul. No condemnation. No condemnation. But Peter is not talking to people who acknowledge Jesus yet. In fact, they were part of the crowd that put Jesus to death. At one point, we were those people. We put Jesus to death, just like all of them with our sin. And what did the author of life do? He let his arms be stretched wide. Those arms have room for all of us. He loved us. He proved it on the cross. Even with all this challenge that Peter is offering to the people, he longs for their salvation. You can hear it in his words. But first, they must repent. And repent they do. 5,000 of them. 5,000 men. That's not even saying the women and children. So there, there was a huge number who were convicted in their hearts and repented and came into the kingdom of God who became children of the king. If you're here today and you're under that conviction, if you feel that prick upon your heart and you're like, I'm one of those people that put Jesus to death. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's saying, come to me. I'm knocking. Open the door and I'm going to come in and have fellowship with you. Don't be proud. Today could be the day of your salvation. One of the, Peter's is, remember, he's recalling, asking them to recall their history. Today's an important day for New Life Presbyterian Church, is it not? It's great. It's going, I think it's going to be a great day. I think one of the things that God is saying to us as we take the next step as New Life Church is to remember your history. Remember who you are as New Life Church. Remember your heritage. Remember where it all started with a man who was convicted by his own sin and fell completely in love with Jesus Christ and renewal broke out. His name is Jack Miller. There's another name drop. We love Jack. He's with God in glory now. But Jack was just a man. Those of us who knew him, I knew him a little bit, but we knew him. He'd be, he would freely admit, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That is the heritage and the history he left with us. 
So to be a member of New Life Church is we are people of grace, are we not? When people talk about New Life, one of the things that was appealing to New Life, Larry Smith said it, I know you as a people of grace. We have to remember that. We are the ones, if, you, if we follow our heritage and our history, we are the ones to be the chief repenters in all situations. We are the chief confessors of our sin. That's our heritage. So if you're in a conflict with somebody, normal, everyday conflict I'm talking about, you are to be the chief confessor. Anybody who comes upon this pulpit, if you're following our heritage and history, I'm supposed to be the chief confessor today. I hope you've heard some of my confession. If not, come on up. I have a lot of confession to do. <clears throat> we are the chief repenters. Now, I was just at a conference yesterday about abuse. And I heard a lot of convicting things, and it's on tape. I would encourage everybody to get a copy. So I'm going to speak again. Just a few, some people in this room, statistically a lot. If you're here today and you have a history of abuse, Jesus loves you. First thing that has to be said. He died for you. If you have a conflict with a person who abused you, let's be clear. You have nothing to repent of. They need to repent. It just has to be said. If you hear that conference, you'll know. And then the last thing is part of our history, at least the last thing I want to say today, for one, every look, one look we take at our sin, we need to take ten looks at Jesus Christ. Every time you feel the con conviction of sin and you repent, Satan is right there to accuse your soul. That's why Jack always said, one look at your sin, ten looks at Jesus Christ. Twenty looks. Takes me a hundred looks sometimes. The Lord of our Savior is in our midst. Our Lord and our Savior is in our midst. Can we be people who leap for joy at that? I, I know we, I know it's in you. I know it's in all of us because the Spirit of God is in us. With our new chapter, that's the people we need to be. Pray and go as Rose helps to lead us. That's the people we need to be as we go into our community, as we vi visit the people who came to Nature Camp, as we bump into anybody they need to hear the joy, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. I know, I know you. I cannot wait to see what God does for us with us next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. There, there are just simply no words. What I know deep in my heart, Lord, is that the Christian life is utterly impossible. Left to myself, just utterly impossible. The law condemns me. Satan, the accuser, condemns me. And he has every right to do it except for one thing. You died on the cross and gave us your righteousness. Hallelujah. And that causes my heart and everyone here who knows Jesus, we, we just leap for joy. 
that you showed that to us again, that you revealed the gospel to us one more time. Jesus Christ, you are so beautiful. You are so wonderful. You are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. I will not steal any of it from you. Any words that penetrated the heart today come from you and not from me. All glory and honor and praise belongs to you. We give it to you now saying hallelujah. Amen.